Before we get this party started, I want to take a moment and give a big, warm shout out to our newest Patreon, Randy R. Randy, thank you so much for supporting the podcast. I am sending you a virtual hug right now, right at this moment. I hope you can feel it. And if you are interested in getting your very own shout out on the show, plus live virtual classes taught by yours truly, podcast stickers, and a love note, please consider supporting us on Patreon. You pay what you like. The link to that is in the show notes, and I hope you enjoy this upcoming episode. Welcome to the Yoga and Podcast. I am your host, Ashley Weber. I'm a yoga teacher and embodiment teacher who is living, learning, and loving every day here in beautiful Austin, Texas. And I am always curious about all things yoga and. Lately, I have been interviewing the people in the yoga community who are contributing to the world in creative and innovative ways. Today, we will explore the subject of yoga and the boons this is part two of a three-part series check out last week's episode on the yamas when you get a chance i am especially excited to have once again back on the show a friend of mine and a friend of the podcast the lovely the amazing giaconda parker when you get a chance check out gia's previous episode she did for the show episode nine episodes 17 and 21. She talks about the shadow, the creation cycle, and fear. For this series currently, we first started recording and we thought it was just going to be a one episode, but we quickly learned that uh, there's a lot to be said about the yamas, the niyamas, and the boons. And so, Uh, Stay tuned each week as the previous episode will build upon the next. In this particular episode, Gia will share with us her depth of knowledge about the expansive topic of the boons. What? Never heard of it before? Well, Gia wonderfully breaks this yoga philosophy down in a way that's so digestible and applicable to one's life. I learned a lot about the boons on this conversation, and I know you will too. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode, y'all. Joining us on today's episode is friend of the show. Check out her other episodes she did with us when you get a chance. Last week, we talked about all about the yamas. And she is a yoga teacher, teacher, trainer, transpersonal psychologist, and wonderful human being, Gia Conda Parker. Hey, Gia. Hi, Ashley. It's so good to be back with you. Yeah, it's so good to have more conversations with you, and I'm so happy you're back. So how are you today? I'm doing well. I, uh, you know, I always think that we're going to run out of material <laughs> and then often uh, we don't. And in fact, we end up having another conversation, which um, I'm delighted by. Me too. And I'm really excited about what we're talking about today. Um, 
would you just like to introduce yourself a little bit more? Tell us what you're about, who you are. Sure. Yeah, so I'm a yoga teacher. Uh, I've been teaching for over 20 years, um, which is a little crazy. It's been 20 great, awesome, amazing, and challenging years. Um, I also have a degree, a master's degree in transpersonal psychology. And we talked a little bit about how that's sort of the meeting of our humanity and our, our uh, spiritual path where that comes together. And I'm a somatic experiencing practitioner, which is a body-based uh, resiliency methodology that also helps support people through uh, trauma, whether it's past or present. I love it. Uh, last week, we discussed the yamas. Would you care to just in a nutshell, just kind of talk about a little bit what the yamas might mean? Sure. Well, we, <clears throat> we introduced last week that uh, according to Patanjali's yoga sutras, that it, yoga is an eight-limbed path. So there are eight aspects to the practices of yoga. And the first one that's introduced is what's known as yamas. And so and a little bit of what we introduced last week as well is this concept that sometimes these are referred to as the first five of the Ten Commandments of yoga. And how that, that's one way to look at it. And absolutely, you, you can look at the combination of the yamas and the niyamas as the ethical code of the yoga practice. But um, how one of my early teachers introduced this idea that for me landed so much more powerfully, which is rather than thinking of these as commandments we're meant to, uh, to try and live up to or try and be like, that these are rather checkpoints for us to observe whether our practice is developing well or not. So they're both guideposts for ideals that we can begin to embody through our, our ongoing yoga practice and living close to the principles to see how they're alive for us and also maybe how at times knowing that there's a principle like ahisa, loving kindness, nonviolence, you can look at it from both aspects, knowing there's a principle like that, then as we live close to it, then we begin to notice, ah, here I am. I was watching this morning, having some technical issues, and here I am yelling at my computer. And then I look, and it's 11:11, and I am one of those people. Whenever I see 11:11, I think about, you know, I just thank my angels and guides that are looking out for me. I was like, sorry guys, missed the boat there. Thank you. And now I'm back on track, right? So it's like, uh, like we can live alongside them, not like there's something that we have to try to become and not like they're outside and teaching and but they're also just a way to check in with how our practice is going right because the practice of yoga is a very powerful practice so how are we experiencing assimilating the power that comes through that practice is it helping us grow in a way that's desirable right are we becoming more kind because of our yoga practice or are we becoming less kind 
because of our yoga practice. So each of the yamas, the first five of these 10 principles that are the first two limbs, these first five teachings are um, about our dynamic relationships with others, really our interactions um, with other humans in the world around us. So that's a <laughs> short answer <laughs> yeah. to, or a little recap of, of the yamas. Yeah, I learned so much from last week. It was so cool to really dive into this, this, this philosophy I've always kind of known of, but we really, we really dug into it. And so after we wrapped last week, I, we were talking and I had no idea that there is, there is a whole other um, set of principles or uh, as, as we learn the yamas, it's more than just being a good person. I mean, yeah, you're a good person when you practice the yamas, but then there's all this other stuff you can get out of it called, I believe you said boons, which I've never heard of. And so I wanted to ask you more about that. Yeah. So the yamas are initially listed in chapter two of the yoga sutras. And then there's a follow-up, which we find a lot in the sutras. There's like the main teaching, teaching is given and then more is unpacked. So uh, I love the word boon, B-O-O-N, like a boon. And um, I mean, that word is not from the Sanskrit teaching. It's more from this lineage of um, that yoga comes from. So from like the stories of sort of the gods and the goddesses and this, the mythology that surrounds that, the stories that surround that. Often like when you perform some, what's called austerity, right? You take on some kind of practice then you get a boon, like something comes your way. You get a bonus. Um, okay, so here, I was just thinking, here's like a modern interpretation of that, right? So uh, Peter Parker gets bitten by a radioactive spider, which then causes this like super intense reaction. Uh -huh. And he now has to live as Spider-Man. But the boon is he's Spider-Man, right? So he can like do these webs and he becomes uh -huh. the superhero. But he also has to now live as a superhero, no longer as a regular person. So the austerity is going through the spider bite. His whole life changes. He's to give up all these things, right? But the boon is now he's Spider-Man. I, lo <laughs> I love that example. Right. So that would be a boon. And uh, so when we look at the yamas, what we see through the teaching is not only is there the initial principle, but when we follow the principle, according to Patanjali, then we, we gain these, these boons, these outcomes. So shall we dive into those? Yeah, I'm, I'm so curious. This is a whole new world for me. <laughs> so when we go back and we remember the, the yamas, the first yama is ahimsa or ahimsa, um, depending on your, uh, how you read it. It looks like ahimsa um, when you look at it that way. 
Uh, and we talked about how we can think of that as nonviolence, or we can think of that as loving kindness. Mm. And so the first natural boon is that we're living according to our authentic nature. So when we are closer to the truth of who we are, we just live in a more harmonious and peaceful way. So that is kind of the, the built-in bonus, the first thing we start to feel. When we begin behaving with more loving kindness, we feel harmo har more harmonious within ourselves because that is our true nature. Each of the yamas are saying, like, this is your true nature. Get closer to your true nature. You'll feel less conflict with other people and in your interactions with others. And then, of course, within ourselves, too. Mm. But the, the boon is if we're, depending on the interpretation you're looking at. So if we say that ahimsa is nonviolence, then the way the boon is described is that others will feel no resonance of violence within themselves when they're in our company. Ooh. So you can look at that from the sort of first level of that teaching that says when you are resonating in a nonviolent way, violence doesn't come towards you. Mm. And others who might have more of a conflict centered presence in the world, when they come into your presence, into your energetic field, there's nothing in you that meets the conflict in them. So the conflict doesn't arise. Mm, that's beautiful. Right? And, yeah. and we can feel how yeah, I mean, you can look at it like we talk about superheroes. So you can look at it in that superhero kind of sense. And we see people like that. We see uh, people like the Dalai Lama. Yeah. That it, I don't know if you've ever even just like, you know, watched him. <laughs> I have not been in his physical presence. But just uh, reading, watching interviews with him, there's a, a transmission of this joyful being that just shifts your feeling state. Oh. And I've been around other people, you know, certain, certain teachers in my life that simply stepping into the room with them shifts me oh. into a place, which is why I want to be there. <laughs> yeah. And so this is, you know, this is the teaching. When you are established in the practice of loving kindness, people feel loving kindness when they're in our presence. Mm. And in the, the, the big teaching of that, it, you know, says like, that's a reason to be dedicated to cultivating that, is to be sort of the energy of that in the world to bring that energy with you everywhere you go. So, you know, we see a lot of conflict around us right now. Yeah. So does the teaching mean sit in your room in your presence of loving kindness and just hope that that makes a difference? I don't think so. I don't think necessarily. 
But if I'm engaging in, you know, in something like social justice work right now, uh-huh. but I remember that I'm a yogi as I'm engaging and my first yama is loving kindness. Then if I can stand for justice, but from a place of loving kindness, from recognizing that I don't just want to be the person who speaks and stands up for the people that I see need support for their voice because of my loving kindness towards them. But I have equal loving kindness for the people who are acting against their nature or acting out of ignorance and causing pain without knowing it. Mm-hmm. And so my, you know, my, the essential energy behind what I'm doing can't be against anyone. It has to be for something. Yeah. And so like, that's the, like, that's that next level teaching of loving kindness uh, and that the outcome of it, if we engage it in the big picture. So why I say big picture is we can engage these teachings from an ego level and say, yes, I want to be loving and kind to the people who are loving and kind to me. (laughs) (laughs) And, And the truth is, if you're, if we're not doing that, that's a step in the right direction. You know, if I'm being unkind to the people in my life who are being kind to me, then that's a step up from where I was. But the, the bigger expression of the teaching is not stopping at the ego level, but saying, I'm a, I'm a yogi in training. <laughs> so I'm going to embrace this teaching at the level of loving kindness towards the people who aren't necessarily loving and kind towards me. Mm. And the, the work it takes to be non-reactive, but to understand that is the boon is saying, if you do that work, you become non-reactive on a deep, deep level inside because you are coming from a place of loving kindness. It doesn't mean non-active, non-reactive, right? Then when people come into your presence, their reactivity will settle and they will have a taste of non-reactive space. Mm. That sounds like shift, like just one person choosing to practice the, the first yama, that can help to shift the fabric of humanity, just that one person, right? And then it can kind of like, like the butterfly effect. Yeah, you know, well, what is it that, um, all great change starts one person at a time. Yeah. Or, you know, we could echo Mahatma Gandhi, right? Be the change. Mm. Be the change that you want to see in the world. And obviously he was familiar with the teachings of yoga. <laughs> so, um, so yes, this is the, the, and this is the tension of the yogic teachings is, and, and the yamas and the niyamas introduce this tension that says you act on your own behalf to be a more powerful and clear and awake human. Mm. And because of that, you are called into presence in the world. 
but you have to, we, I, <laughs> you know, I, as a yogini in training, I, it's my work every day to wake up and check in. It's my work every day to wake up and practice. And so these are, these are points of practice that are, uh, in my experience anyway, limitless. I'm never going to run out of points of practice, of ways of refining um, and new levels of understanding what else is possible in the realm of each of these teachings. Mm. So the boon, you know, I would say in the beginning when I first read them, they were great motivators for me. I am, you get way more out of me with a carrot than a stick, right? <laughs> just, if you tell me to do it just because, I just won't do it to spite you. <laughs> That's my personality. And so I love, this is another thing that I just love about the richness of the, of the teachings and the sutras, and in particular the yamas and the niyamas, is you get the carrot. You know, the carrot says, and, and you can be on an ego level just saying, I'm not going to experience as much conflict in my life because even people with whom I've had conflict prior, when I'm in the state of loving kindness, when I'm in the state of nonviolence, that conflict dissipates and it doesn't happen in my life. So that makes my immediate life better. Great. And then if I can look at the idealized self that I want to be in the world, I would love to be considered a person in my company, others feel more love for themselves, more love for the world, more love for each other. I feel that. I feel that from you. Well, thank you. That's a sign that the practice is going well after all yeah. these years. <laughs> Yeah, so that's the boon for the first one. So, um, and, you know, we, we also talked about last week how the first one is sort of the cornerstone teaching and then all the other teachings come to support that. Shall we dive into the next one? Yes, I would love to. All right, so the next, uh, the next yama is satya, which is truthfulness and also authenticity, right? Expressing ourselves more authentically. So um, truth and integrity are part of satya. Mm -hmm. So the boom that comes with truthfulness is, well, Iyengar, Mr. BKS Iyengar, Mm -hmm. but Mr. Iyengar says that uh, he says satya is speaking in a way that's aligned with your intention. And then the way he describes the boom is that everything you speak will come to pass. Mm. So, right, we have a lot of talk these days about manifesting. Yeah. But it makes sense that if we align completely our intentions with our speech, then what we speak comes to fruition because there's nothing in us that's not aligned with what we're speaking, what we're saying. So it's this power to manifest and create through our speech because our speech is that powerful. 
Wow. That makes me think of a previous episode we did not related to the yamas or the niyamas. We're talking about birthing ideas and Mm -hmm. you you referenced the Bible and then God spoke and then earth. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, yeah. So it sounds, it was the ether. Ether is the first. Yes. Ether is the first element yeah and speech is related to ether pulling things into creation and into being Mm. and funny when you were just saying that what kind of hit me right is that when we are in the act of creating then we are being you know the beings that are created in the image of the creator So we are acting on our divine right to create when we are in the act of creating. Mm. And I think that's part of why we feel such a a rush, such a flow when we're in the creative process, whatever creative process it is for you and and all humans are creative beings because, hey, we're in the process of creating our own lives all the time. Right, yeah. creating sort of the reality that we live in. We're through the way that we see the world and the conclusions we draw from what we see, what what we choose to put in, which is you know coming when we start looking at the the neomas. Like it is an act of creation of our lives, the thoughts we say yes to, the things we invite in, and satya, right? Truthfulness. It's uh, you know, Nishala Joy Davy, who I spoke about in the last episode too, you know, in her translation, uh, when she describes the boon, she, she says, dedicated to truth and integrity, our thoughts, words, and actions gain the power to manifest. Ooh. And that's also true. You know, it's actually kind of the natural outcome in, and a superpower both at the same time, right? It's a natural outcome that if I say I'm going to do something and then I'm of integrity with that, then I follow through and I take the actions that are necessary to make that thing come to pass. Yeah. And, and I will say, yeah. oh, not to interrupt you, but to your point, the first, the first one, the love and kindness, when you're talking about less, basically, essentially, there's less chaos, less drama in your life. Uh, from my personal experience, when you take away that chaos, what is left is, is all this energy and bandwidth and surrounding yourself by people who can help you manifest the things you want. So I think that's a key piece. Like they work hand in hand. I love that you're making that connection. That's really so true, right? Like, what do you, now what do you want to do? <laughs> what do you want to yeah. do with all this extra energy that you have? Channel it, right? So in some ways we say you know, satya and the power of speech. It's a way of channeling, right? Mm-hmm. You, you speak it into being and then put everything behind it so that it continues to come forth. Mm-hmm. And so now we see the, the teaching of the power behind, right? So you could say these are boons or another way we could look at it is Patanjali goes on to say, hey, here's the power behind moving in this way. 
So I love how you just said that, right? Like mm -hmm. the power that comes when we're not dissipating it through a bunch of conflict that's not necessary. Mm -hmm. The power that's behind what we, how we choose to move that energy now that we have it, Satya's got it, got a handle. I hadn't really seen that before, so that's really cool. Oh, cool. <laughs> it's been a big part of my adult life is like coming to terms with like letting go of drama and then letting that energy feed me in a better way. So very mm. personal. <laughs> and that's what's so cool about these two, right? They're general principles, but they come to life in an extremely personal way once we engage them. Just like asana, right? You can say like, a, what, triangle pose exists out there, but it's not personally alive to me until I start putting my body in that shape. And then seeing, seeing what is this shape for me? Yeah. You know? So similarly, we've got these dynamics that when we interact with them personally, they just, they create. Mm -hmm. They create and they channel. All right. Shall we talk about Asteya? I'm, I'm ex I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. So Asteya, we would say when we, when we put an A at the beginning of something, it becomes the opposite. So non-stealing. Mm -hmm. And then we also talked about how non-stealing, if we were to frame it in the, in, the, in the affirmative, in the positive, it would be this feeling of generosity. Right? Mm rather than wanting to take something from you, I have a feeling of being open to share what I have generously oh. as the affirmative practice. And uh, so uh, one of the translations I was reading last night said we abide in Asteya, non-stealing, the true gems of the world are bestowed upon us. Ooh. And I thought that was really beautiful. It's an invitation in a certain way to understand what's truly of value. Mm. Right? And then there's some translations that say, when we abide in non-stealing, others bestow gifts upon us and we are trusted to, we are trusted with things of great value. So like you, there's lots of different ways to, to look at what this teaching might be, but you know, it's, it is kind of true, you know, that if you're around someone who doesn't feel like they want to take what you have, then you're very open to share. And that's not just money, right? Because wow. we, we talked about like non-stealing and the idea of the depth of knowledge that we have and being willing to sort of freely share that versus hanging tightly onto it and wanting to protect it. Um, and so there's that, that flow that can be there. And then when we look back at what Nishla Joy Devi says, she says, uh, abiding in generosity and honesty, as they are, material and spiritual prosperity is bestowed. Oh. So, you know, here she's saying, you get both. 
I've been in this open inquiry with myself for a good 20 years now in really wanting to understand this idea of wealth. Mm. And, uh, you know, we, we live in a culture that has historically emphasized perhaps overemphasized wealth as being the amount of money and material goods that you have. Uh-huh. <laughs> Definitely. Right. Um, and then in my sort of transpersonal studies, looking at, you know, different cultures and how like uh, in some of the um, Native American traditions, you know, you showed your wealth by how many blankets you had, uh-huh. <laughs> you all these, these different things, or, you know, some, how many wives you have. <laughs> Ooh, la, la. <laughs> I know. I'm like, well, personally, I think that having a lot of wives could also uh, mean more challenge, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thinking of myself and multiplying me times five, that could bring <laughs> all kinds of things, but all kidding aside, right? This idea of wealth, like what is, what is wealth? And, uh, you know, having been a yoga teacher for a long time, obviously just material wealth is not a, um, a huge motivator for me. I would have gone into a different, potentially more monetarily lucrative career. But mm-hmm. I, I remember one of my friends reflecting to me at one point, she's like, you, you get a lot, you know, you have a lot of freedom and creative expression your work is to dive into something that you love studying anyway Uh you have and I you know I reflect on this now I have depth in many of my friendships that I am so grateful for and a lot of that is uh, the friendships that I've developed through teaching yoga. And so it's, you know, it's redefining wealth. And it was a good reframe for me in a time when I was still judging the sort of, you know, the fruits of my labor, (laughs) judging those through the lens that isn't really the lens that I want to judge uh, wealth through Mm -hmm. at this juncture And again, I think during these very interesting times that we're in, there's a lot of us who are beginning to sort of rethink that model. Yeah, totally. Different, the values are shifting. Mm -hmm. You know, health is your greatest wealth. I think we all kind of really value our health right now more than maybe other years and yeah. And, And I mean, I look at Hollywood and I'm like, what? what's going to happen to all y'all's multi-million dollar homes and (laughs) you know it's Mm -hmm. yeah everything's just shifting on its head and it's it's pretty pretty wild yeah you know and you know for some folks I think the the desire for material wealth is wrapped up with the idea that it gives us some sort of stability in the world (laughs) like turns out turns out the world can be turned on its head in any moment yeah 
and in like you're saying you know and then all of a sudden you're like wow it doesn't matter if you have all the money in the bank if you don't have your health or um you know there's a lot of conversation about sort of mental wellness and i know for me personally i am extremely grateful for the relationships i have that i can rely on Mm -hmm. you know the people that it's it's not just out of convenience anymore because it's not convenient to see anyone or to yeah. <laughs> communicate with them in the way that it used to be and so you know uh, I've, I've learned to deeply value the people who will pick up the phone and call me or uh, you know reach out and say hey do you want to have a conversation on my podcast <laughs> <laughs> you know like that that is and and that is um, in many ways, based on mutual generosity, right? Letting go of this idea of, of, uh, wanting to take, right? Yes. So that principle of non, non-stealing or just feeling no need to take anything from anyone else, yeah. but instead to have that flow of generosity from within. And when we have that, that we have, you know, the true gems arrive for us, the true gems of life. And it's kind of a superpower. Like you could think of it yeah. that way, you know, and maybe it's true that material wealth follows, we'll see. But Since we are now in a major world shift and it's even more important now than ever to support one another and stand up for what and who we believe in. And I wanted to have a section in each episode called a spotlight corner and I want it to highlight black indigenous people of color, LGBTQ plus communities, businesses and organizations specifically in those areas. And let me say in no way is this a paid advertisement or a sponsorship. It's simply people and organizations who I think are awesome. And I would like to show my support in some way. And I hope to inspire you to support them as well. Somewhat recently, I had the wonderful Scout Shavers on the show. When you get a chance, check it out. It's episode 22, Yoga and Birth. Scout is a birth worker, a birth educator, a doula, a yoga teacher, and the founder of the organization Birth Wild Awake. This organization specifically supports Black, Indigenous, people of color, the doulas, as well as the families. The money is strictly used to provide educational scholarships to these doulas seeking mentorships and skill set to support these families. You may or may not already know, but systematic racism starts at birth. And I really believe in supporting this organization because there is such a need for more support in this particular area of the community. There's a couple of ways you can contribute to her organization. You can either give directly to Birth Wild Awake on Scout's website, scoutwildawake.com forward slash donate. The link to that is in the show notes. 
There's a donate button that you can click on once you get there, or you can also buy her t-shirts on her website. I have a t-shirt and they are wonderful. They're soft, they fit well, and are high quality. They say on the front of them, black birthing lives matter. I love mine. I wear it all the time. If you're able, please consider supporting Birth Wild Awake. I don't really, I don't know if it's like, it's generosity, but it's also gratitude. I've been doing this thing this year and you mentioned superpower and it just, I might've mentioned it to you before, but it kind of has to do with what we're talking about. And this was before the pandemic started. I just, I would notice, like I was at a cafe once and someone just like gave me half of their sandwich. I don't know. We were talking and then it was like, here's my vegan BLT if you want. And, and it started like that happened like a few days in a row. Like I was just getting free stuff randomly, like, like drinks or, you know, like a coffee, nothing big. But I started to think, mm -hmm, this is interesting. And I have them on my little iPhone, I have a notes and all the gifts I've given that have been given to me, I record every single gift. It, it could be, uh, you know, someone made a mask for me, you know, for the pandemic, just to be nice. But what is so weird, and the reason why I wanted to do that was, um, I wanted to be more grateful for the small stuff. And, um, and it wasn't like, oh, let's see what the world's going to give me. But I just, I was just curious, like why I was getting all these random free things, like a few days I was, you know, I was curious. Well, what happened was every time I would acknowledge whatever little gift of generosity was given to me, I would get more and I would get like kind of weird, like weird out of the blue gifts that I, I swear other years I wouldn't have gotten otherwise, like had I not acknowledged. So I don't know that it's, I think it's more gratitude, but it, but it, it is kind of a superpower. I've, I've been starting to feel like acknowledging the generosity. You're asking the world for more, more generosity um, being thrown at you, I guess. So anyway, highly recommend that. Yeah being in the flow of receiving too. Yeah. Right. Well, and that, that's been a really hard thing for me over the years, learning how to receive. And that's why I love yin yoga. It taught me how to receive. And so that was also part of the practice was receiving these gifts. So. I love it. I, as I'm listening to you, I'm just feeling something open up in me to let in even more like all the gifts that really have have come my way and uh i was i was rem remembering and i had already forgotten you know last year when uh i i got to go to uh kenya um oh. and we were in nairobi and you know we went to visit some of the the people that we met there through the africa yoga project and they're living in um, an area that they referred to as, you know, slum and going there and really having two experiences right next to each other. One of them is just so, um, just so surprised at the, the lives that people have created inside of just this 10 box with a dirt floor. Wow. And you know, this, uh, this woman, she had a double, so she had 
the luxury size version of it because she had two rooms just sort of separated by a little like a metal container in between and she also had these feed sacks on the wall so it was like a real a luxury suite uh-huh. and uh, <clears throat> she had old suitcases um, that were their closet like old suitcases where you'd open them up and that's where the clothes were and wow. again a, a luxury because she actually had more than just the clothes that she was wearing and um, it was such a sweet home. So having that piece of going like, oh my God, when I go home, I am never going to forget wow. like how much I have in my modest little tiny house. Uh-huh. <laughs> so much running water, um, yeah. refrigerator, like just so, so the things that we really tend to take for granted if we've mm-hmm. had them our whole lives. Simultaneously, I just was so blown away by her generosity and kindness and how much love was in that house with her two daughters. They were so, like she would just, she just glowed looking Mm. at them. And you could tell like they knew each other because they lived in one room together, (laughs) you know? But it was like like the depth to which she knew her daughters was how much she loved them and how like she would watch them and she would lean over to me and be like, wait a second, watch the little ones being quiet right now, but you give her, just watch, she's going to find her moment to shine. And just feeling like, wow, like that is so much wealth to have a, to have a parent that, that knows these two individuals so deeply and mm-hmm. absolutely recognizes them as the beings that they are. I was like, man, you know, so in some ways, you know, and I was contrasting that with thinking about sort of, you know, the, I mean, at my experience growing up, you know, being able to go and shut my room and be in my own space and not be seen because I didn't want to be seen. And, you know, and also just uh, look at the, there's a big gap between who I am and who my parents perceived me to be. And realizing that in the midst of the, you know, and especially this idea of non-stealing, that was the other thing that was amazing is um, one of the guys who was with us through the whole 10 days grew up in, in the same neighborhood, same area. And, um, and he said that as a kid, he felt extremely safe because, and also kind of disciplined because he's huh. like, if you're a kid in the neighborhood, everybody's parents, your parent. Oh, wow. <laughs> so there's no babysitters, but if you're out in the street, like all the adults have eyes on all the kids. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, so this, you know, the same thing that like sort of generosity of, you know, they, they help each other out with food, even though the food is very limited. Um, when someone's ill, everybody on the street will like pitch in to bring them water and take care of them. And so this idea of like the, the non-stealing then opens up that generosity and that communal feeling and connection. And what is, you know, what is real wealth was something that was very much in the forefront of my mind coming home from there being like there are ways that we have material wealth here and that we've traded in some way it's our closeness our intimacy our community connections 
because we have material wealth and so we don't have to rely on each other. So, uh -huh. you know, all this springs from this teaching of when we act from a place of generosity, then um, true wealth is possible for us. Well, I love how you said that um, the person on your trip who grew up in that neighborhood felt extremely safe as a kid. Like if that isn't wealth, I don't know what is like, and I can't say the same for most American children, <laughs> Feel, you know, feeling extremely safe. And this, like you're saying, going back to the idea that wealth, there's a certain amount of stability slash safety, right? That doesn't mm -hmm. guarantee you any of that. So yeah. Beautiful. And just, yeah, just to tell the whole story, of course, that was when he was very young. Okay. And then, gotcha. and then gotcha. there's the coming of age, which is much more challenging, but there is that, that time as a very young child where the, the small kids, everybody's got eyes on them and do what they can to, you know, help them out. So, yeah. Yeah. Non-stealing, <laughs> non-stealing generosity. And then from that, you know, from the idea that I lack something and I need something from someone else, when that's no longer there, when the idea uh, that there's something that I would want to take from someone is no longer there, then my eyes are open, our eyes are opened to what is wealth really, what brings us like the deepest satisfaction in life. Well, shall we? Yes, I, I love this. Um, the, the fourth one is, gosh, I, I knew it. Is it the, the sexual restraint or is that? Brahmacharya, <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. You're like, I know the fourth one's the controversial one. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, yes. I love how I just laugh because it has sex in the word. It's just <laughs> ridiculous. Funny. Yeah, well, what we talked about last week, right, is that brahmacharya can be looked at that way. Um, and there are, you know, many different aspects, but also, you know, at this point, like one of the ways we can interact with this teaching is the idea of moderation, the idea of valuing our life force energy and choosing wisely how we spend it, choosing wisely how we invest it. Um, and, uh, so going back to, uh, the secret power of yoga, translation of the sutras. She says, devoted to living a balanced and moderate life, the scope of one's life force becomes boundless. Ooh, so you get more energy. Absolutely, right? That and is again, a superpower. <laughs> that is the superpower, <laughs> right? So the idea of by acting in moderation, and so again, we can look at this. This goes back to a little bit what you were talking about from the very first one, right? When we're not spinning all our energy out in drama. So part of, you know, part of moderation has to do with obviously simple things like food and drink and sex. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, you know, it also goes to how much we 
outpour our energy in whatever direction that might be like how much time and money do i spend entertaining myself and in what ways do i do that and is the form of entertainment i'm engaging is that giving me energy or is it depleting my energy huh. right so the brahmacharya uh, I love the idea of boundless energy. Personally, I, I could use that. Yeah. <laughs> and usually when I am feeling depleted, if I'm honest, <laughs> and I'm not always, because I don't always want to admit it. <laughs> but when I'm honest with myself, when I'm feeling depleted, when I'm feeling burnt out, when I'm feeling like, that I don't have the energy for the things that I want to do, I can generally trace it back to like one or two habits that aren't particularly supportive. Mm. So, you know, I think we've talked about this at one point or another during this pandemic, you know, you know, one glass of wine becomes two. Uh -huh. And then that third one is going to inevitably be a later wake up with a little bit of a headache. Yeah. 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 You know? And, well, and it's 100% a human, hundred percent human, hundred percent right? human. Right. And that's the thing, but it is like when we stop playing the mystery game with ourselves, it gets a little easier to make better choices. Right. When I play the mystery game, I'm like, man, I just don't know. It must be this pandemic. It's really taking it out of me. <laughs> Okay, well, is that it? And sometimes that is it. I would say in the beginning, for sure, I think a lot of us were just like, whoa, recalibrating. But, mm -hmm. you know, on the other hand, you know, also I, I was noticing in the beginning, I was extremely isolated, like very, very much like um, not seeing anyone at all. Mm -hmm. And then what I have come to realize is I need some human interaction. I am, I am yeah. a bit of an extrovert. And so finding good ways to do that, balanced mm. ways to do that. You know, it's like this, like we all have a, we all have a formula. And what the, the boon says is it's worth balancing your formula because if you balance your formula, mm boundless energy right yeah I, I feel you on the social distancing and the isolation because this introvert I'm extremely introverted and I was desperate for humor hu human interaction and I cannot imagine what an extrovert would feel like um it, it's it yeah it's it was really rough um mm -hmm. yeah and we're recalibrating Mm -hmm. You know, speaking of like, you know, brahmacharya in the sense of, of sort of finding a balance, we're also learning to rebalance to more Zoom interaction, mm -hmm. more auditory input, yeah. you know, just noticing, uh, noticing what, you know, what do we need to do and still be within that range of you know, non-violence, not, um, not being out there in the world in a way that could be a risk to ourselves or others. And, and then within the range of, you know, what feels 
like a wise decision, mm -hmm. you know, operating and giving ourselves enough interaction in one form or another that we're not sort of, you know, plummeting down the depression hole. <laughs> Yeah. And at the same time, not going like so crazy with it all the time that all of a sudden you're just like, oh my God, um, oh, my friend just made up this joke. Oh. She said, you know, you've heard of zombies. <laughs> it was at the end of a really long training day. She's like, I'm a zombie. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. Yeah. 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 So noticing when also when it's time to like unplug from all that social interaction or all the electronics mm -hmm. go outside yeah all of this right in the in the formula of and i think it's a it's a great time to be each of us working with ourselves to say okay what is within within my world how do i balance myself in a way that I, I have the energy that I need to do the things that I want to do. What I'm hearing you say a few times in this is the word wise or wisdom. And it mm -hmm. sounds like, I mean, especially right now, just we have most of us who have downtime, there's a lot of opportunity to go within and find that inner wisdom of like, and, and, and not being in denial about like, like the mystery game you're talking about, like really waking up to the reality of, Hey, I'm in a crabby mood. I watched eight hours of true crime. <laughs> Why am I in a crabby mood? Maybe I need to get some fresh air. Maybe I need to turn off the laptop. Like just, just no longer being in denial about that and, and just being real. Um, well, truthfulness, right. You know, mm -hmm. the second one. Like going back to that, like what is real and then um, then finding finding something to neutralize whatever is going on. Yeah, I love how you're drawing these links already, right? Yeah. Because they really are, it's, uh, you know, the sutra, each sutra is its own thread, but then what do we do with threads? We weave them together. Oh. And then they become the fabric of the teaching and you're doing that. You're weaving the teachings in a way where, and this goes back to this, <laughs> which ties back to behaving in a nonviolent way towards myself, mm. you know, because we can all fall into that um, sort of indulging habits that are, you know, we, we, we call it self-care sometimes. Mm -hmm. And there are things that absolutely are self-care and a little bit can go a long way too. Yeah. You know? So the very show that is a great distraction and helps you just unplug from the drama of the day uh -huh. and feel a little joy or connection because the people are almost like your friends now. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Where an hour or two of that might be great. And eight hours of it, it's generally not. <laughs> A little, little bit excessive. Unless it is. Unless it is. And how do we know? Well, watching yeah. our energy. Watching our energy. Totally. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Um, because as, as we're having this conversation, and I, I don't know that I've thought of it this way before, but in many ways, brahmacharya is the yama that speaks to uh, like uh, personal responsibility. Mmm. <laughs> ooh. 
I love that. I love that word, that phrase, personal responsibility. Mm -hmm. Like taking personal responsibility for how we manage our, manage ourselves. All right. And then we've got the last one. (laughs) already the last one already we've come to the fifth yeah so the fifth one is aparigraha so right so non-grasping is often how this one is described and we talked about the non-grasping um a positive expression of that can be the recognizing the abundant nature of the world so recognizing abundance versus living in um, lack or living in uh, scarcity oh the scarcity mentality so a parigraha um, and so i love how she describes it here in the secret power of yoga she says acknowledging abundance we recognize the blessings and everything and gain insights into the purpose of our worldly existence yeah so recognizing the blessings and everything allows us to gain insights into the purpose of our worldly existence so this idea that when we're not grasping for something so physic the physical act of grasping is a closed hand right Mm -hmm. and so when we're grasping after one thing, right? We're just single pointed on that one thing. And so not recognizing the abundance that's around us. Yeah, and, and I, anybody who's listening, who's a human has had this experience. I know I have. Yeah, me too. Of being completely focused on the one thing that I don't have yeah. and that I desperately want. Mm-hmm. That, that's all I feel is the lack of what I don't have. And in the moment of letting that go, so often it comes when you let go of trying so hard to get it. Um, so the, the, you know, the grasping. Yeah. Let that it, makes me let, think of the very first one we were talking about how if we're not vi- like the love and love and kindness within, and we uh, not only um, create that in our own lives, but people in our own lives feel it uh, when they're in our presence, like attracts like. And so it, it would make sense what you're saying. Like if I'm grasping, you're, you're going to, in that desperation feeling, you're going to attract like that. Like you're, you're, it's more of what you don't want is what it sounds like mm-hmm. uh, that, that, real graspy nature yeah it 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 also like it's like we just narrow our vision so much when we're in that place narrow our vision so much that we're not able to really see the bigger picture i think at least that's been my experience that's a great way to put it yeah it's like the blinders are on the sides of the face and yeah so when we when we can establish ourselves right watch the things that we grasp for and instead shift into more of like it's not scarcity there's enough for everyone mm-hmm. right um i think it's really interesting that she says we gain insights into the purpose of our worldly existence 
when we're in a non-grasping mindset. What do you think that means? Well, like going back to you're saying it narrows, it can narrow your vision. Like if you're focused on that one thing you want, um, then you're maybe missing the point of being a human on earth. In my opinion is we're here to make the world a better place. We're here to be of service of other people. And if there is, you know, it could be, it could be anything. It could be a material object. It could be something you're focused on. Um, the world's so much bigger than that one thing. So you're losing sight of uh, what's, what's in front of you. Um, for instance, for instance, I know for myself, I've missed opportunities because I've been fixated. I've, I've, my mind's somewhere else thinking of the thing in the future and I'm not in the present. Maybe I'm in a room full of people who can help me with my goals or help me with a project or I could help them with a project, but I'm not present enough to acknowledge that because mm. I'm thinking about a speedboat or something that I want. I don't know. I don't want a speedboat. <laughs> I want a Land Rover someday, but that's about as crazy as I, I <laughs> want. Yeah, I love that. I, uh, you know, that's why I always stop whenever there's a big phrase like that, the purpose of our worldly existence. And I, I learned, I learned to really remember to do this um, from some time with my teacher, Menorama. She's one of my, you know, one of my teachers. And, uh, you know, she, she will always pause at these big concepts like this and be like, mm, you know, maybe sit with that for a while the purpose of our worldly existence so i've been thinking about this one for a little while and and for me at this juncture in my life when i remember you know what i'm up to in the world you know i'm not really here to even be a yoga teacher build a career as a yoga teacher write a book or any of these other you know things that i want to do and that i have the impulse to do but under the impulse to do that, I think is like that, that for me, the, that impulse of life, which is like, what am I here for? Uh, you know, to, am I here to remember my true nature? Right. Uh, and so am I going through all these, not just going through the motions, I mean, living my life, but living it in a way that I remember, oh, right. The ultimate goal is not a certain number of dollars, although maybe that's a motivator for me to get out there in the world and create and do, mm -hmm. or, um, you know, or to complete the accomplishment. But it's actually that like the, the journey is the destination. I love that phrase so much and make it up. I just love it. That it's, oh, I'm in the process of, acting on my goals so that I can engage with life to learn the things I'm here to learn because <laughs> I came mm. here to learn something. <laughs> yeah. Going back to personal responsibility. And I will say also, I have another thought about um, that grasping to something you want. I would look at that at least for myself as a, as a form of escape because it's a, it's a lot of responsibility to own up to when it's about what were the words um your own destiny in the world your own um yeah the specific phrase 
purpose of your worldly existence? <laughs> That's a huge undertaking, right? That's like, boom, uh, here I am. I'm here to do some work in the world. And it's different for every single person. It's not a one size. So it's a lot of soul searching, I would think. It's, a, it's just a lot of responsibility. And so I would look at the grasping for something as a way to escape. That's just what I've done. That's profound. Yeah. yeah. So if you let go of that grasping to escape, then you're left with considering what is the purpose of your worldly existence, right? And letting the answers come. Yeah. Rather than grasping for something else. And that's a, that's a really deep level at which to look at the teaching, right? And to say that's why what you would gain is insights into your worldly existence if you stop grasping after all the other things that, you're, that help you escape being with that question, living with that question. And going back to the superpower, once he knows he's Spider-Man, he's Spider-Man and he has to uphold you know, there's a certain set of, I don't want to say obligations, but now you're, the bar is a little bit higher, right? So you, you don't want to, you have, there's a lot more care to be taken uh, when, when the bar is set higher, there's, there's more work to do, to maintain. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I, uh, I just picked up uh, to look at the light on the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali by BKS Iyengar. And so his interpretation of the same sutra is without possession. So the interpretation of it is knowledge of past and future lives unfolds when one is free from greed for possessions. Whoa. Wow. <laughs> so then I'm looking, I'm like, how did he get to that? And she got to this other interpretation. And so just looking at the specific Sanskrit words that are in the sutra, aparigraha, he defines as without possession, without belongings, non-acceptance of gifts. That's interesting. Wow. <laughs> um, and then the word is by becoming steady in that. And then there is, there is the word birth or, you know, and in her interpretation, that's where she's coming to like the purpose of our worldly existence. Um, and he's expanding that to saying knowledge of past and future lives. So he's extrapolating not just this one, not just this lifetime, but if you free yourself from the grasping for material possessions, then it's like that existence there's a similarity so this is why sometimes when if you know for our listeners if they're interested in diving deeper it can be very interesting once you work with one text for a while then to introduce another and start to go oh okay so the common factor is this idea of the purpose of existence what are we born for mm. um and so they're similar. We can see the similarities, but very different. Knowledge of past and future lives unfolds when one is free from greed for possessions. Now, here's you know another um, another interpretation of this one that I've heard that the boon for non-grasping, the thing you get with non-grasping, is that you are trusted with um, 
people's greatest possessions. Ooh. So there's also that idea that when we have the non-grasping attitude in our lives, and we're not trying to get anything, mm-hmm. then we find ourselves in the company of all that, all that we're not grasping for. <laughs> ironic, but not ironic. <laughs> ironic, but not ironic. Yeah. So that's sort of the, you know, those, those five teachings and what they bring, what they can bring. So we have establishing ourselves in an attitude of loving kindness. People feel loving kindness when they're in our presence. We have that when we are aligned in word, deed, and action, what we speak comes to pass. We have that when we are established in non-stealing, right? Or really when we're established in that attitude of abiding in generosity, that the true gems of life reveal themselves. We have that when we are devoted to living in a balanced way, we have boundless energy for the things that we want to do. And the final one is that um, when we acknowledge the abundant nature of the world, we let go of grasping. We see the blessings that are in everything and we understand the purpose of our worldly existence. Sign me up. (laughs) It's a good list. Yeah, and if anyone wants the specific sort of reference for these the sutras are listed in four books and and the yamas and the niyamas are in book two Um, and then specifically this listing of what the sort of boons are um, starts with sutra 235 oh um, and goes through sutra 239 nope 240 yeah because there's five of them so 235 cool. to 240. Yeah. Cool. And I'll link that. I'll, I'll type that out in the show notes um, as a reference. And I'll also, the books you reference, add that as well. And, as, uh, and also all your info. Um, do you have anything going on in the next month or a few weeks that you want to let us know? I, you know, I've got a few things that are coming up. So I have a sequencing workshop for yoga teachers. It's going to be on October 3rd, uh, two workshops. It's online, so anybody who wants to can participate, um, and that's up on my website. And then I've also got a workshop. It's on the Sunday after Thanksgiving, and it's on the history of yoga and the teachings of the koshas, which is sort of the layers of our being. So we'll be unpacking the history of yoga and yoga philosophy, understanding um, how we can relate to that. And then, so that's on, uh, that is on the day after Thanksgiving, or Sunday after Thanksgiving, November 29th. Nice. All right. Thank you so much, Gia. And I look forward to our conversation for next week. Sounds good, Ashley. Talk to you soon.
I hope you enjoyed and felt inspired from today's episode about yoga and the boons with the amazing Giaconda Parker. Check out last week's episode, which is one of this three-week series. Last week's episode was on yoga and the yamas. Stay tuned for next week's episode, yoga and the niyamas, as Gia will continue this conversation of yamas, boons, and niyamas. I really like the way she explains such a complex subject and makes it accessible for us to apply to our regular lives. If you would like to connect with Gia, all her contact info is linked down in the show notes. If you liked what you heard, please share with your friends and please consider joining our yoga and podcast Patreon. They're great member perks, such as shout outs on the show, virtual yoga with yours truly. We even send you love notes filled with stickers when you sign up you can find out more in the show notes as well if you would like to help the podcast in a different way please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcast our email is yoga and podcast at gmail.com the and is spelled out y-o-g-a-a-n-d podcast at gmail please follow us on instagram our handle is yoga and podcast and let us know if you have any requests for future episode subjects or guests We now have merch such as coffee mugs, hoodies, tote bags, all that you can find at my website, ashleyweberyoga.com forward slash podcast. Remember that this podcast is for everyone. If you're a human living on earth, you might benefit from listening to yoga and podcasts. See you next week.